Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Electric Acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you it's never too late to write your next chapter. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. Uh, the guest to this week and I met quite a few weeks ago, again, through the magic of Jennifer Eurizio, who always connects me to people who have the most beautiful, heart-forward conversations. And so I am really looking forward to this. So Amelia DiToro, I think I just totally stumbled over your first name, and I really apologize <laughs> I panicked. I had a name panic moment. <laughs> I will get you, you to say it so time. that <laughs> um, who is a intuitive coach, psychic channel, and is often referred to as a midwife of the soul. And on this week, when we are approaching the winter solstice, I think this is a really beautiful time for this conversation. So welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. And you right. almost got my name. Perfect. It was Amala. You, Amala. Thank you. Amala. It's got such beautiful rhythm. It's just, it's, it's lovely. I just, I, I just had a moment. Every once in a while I do that. My brain just has a panic moment and that's what happened. Right. Could happen to any of us at any time. <laughs> well, thank you for being so gracious. About it. I appreciate that. All right. So tell me, who are you and how did life introduce you to this version? Wow. So um, I am many things. Like most women, by the time they reach 57, we are many things, not just one. Right. So I am, I am a wife. I have a husband who's a psychotherapist. I'm a mom of a couple of dogs and used to be cats. Um, and my first iteration of my life was as a college administrator. 
I was really deep into student affairs and academic support services, and I had a lovely career and life there. And in the middle, in the midst of that, um, life introduced me to this part of me, this aspect of me by by a, a rollover car accident. And I had been studying yoga and meditation and having a lovely experience with that. And after the rollover accident, I was, um, I became psychic, really. I call myself a psychic channel because I was able to hear, see, feel, experience things outside of the realm of normal senses. And, um, and over the course of that first year, I was able to uh, channel healing energy through my hands. And so that was in 2004. And I would say that is when I was introduced to um, this aspect of myself or who I've become as mm -hmm. I embraced um, just a, a different way of being in the world than I had in the first 38 years of my life. I think I was 38 when that happened. Um, and uh, so, so here I am, right? Having been solidly on a path that integrates spirituality and personal growth. I'm a really big proponent of um, therapy and working through family of origin issues and Brene Brown. I used to say, Brene Brown's my shero. I just love her work. Um, and so really learning to be my authentic self, to unwind the psychology, my family of origin issues, and also lean into faith and lean into the divine guidance and intuition and um, support people in doing that in their own lives. So mm -hmm. that's really my, my work in the world is supporting women to integrate those two things, the psychological yeah. healing and development and spiritual work Yeah, to really it's know really, themselves. Yes. Yeah. And that is where our work intersects a lot because that's the work that I'm doing as well. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, there are so many things I really want to get into the family of origin with you because you said it mm -hmm. a few times and I think it's something that's really important and that we don't necessarily really think about enough and how those patterns play out in relationships that we have now. So I, I want to get back into that, but I also was wondering because you came from such an academic space and it sounds like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like this transition happened pretty quickly, mm -hmm. right? So did yeah. you, sorry, did you have a moment where you found that you were at odds with yourself around what you were discovering you could do and the space you were coming from? Oh, totally. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I had had a 15-year career in higher ed, and I was in the middle of a research project at a program in integrative medicine. I was doing qualitative research. And at that same time, I was also pretty actively pursuing um, yoga and spiritual growth through that lane. And I had had an experience at an ashram, which is an Indian it was in the U.S. It was in uh, Monroe, New York. And but I had had an awakening experience at that ashram one summer, the summer before the car accident. So I had had a little bit of an introduction to 
what a life, living a spiritual life might look like. And an awakening in that world is often called Shaktipat or the grace of the guru. And when that happened, like I just had a, such a strong urge to know God is how I would how, how I would talk about it at that time. I just really wanted to know God and know myself as God. And um, it was directly in, con in, in contrast to the left-brained life I had lived for all that time. Now, I was, I was a student affairs practitioner. You know, I was in residential life. So personal growth and development was really a big part of my um, drive in student affairs, really, in serving in that way. But I had become a really good administrator. And that was that is a very left brain skill. I was a very thinking systems person, and I still am, to be honest with you. I haven't lost that capacity. It just took a while um, to get past the um, mm, the division, right? Because when we're only in the, we'll say the left brain or the more logical side, we I I did per poo-poo the other side. Like, why would you live your life that way? Right. And so suddenly I'm living my life that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there's, this is where I think it links up with personal growth and development, right. And, and the psychology and family of origin, I had a family of origin that was really, really strong around um, logic and doing the right thing and order and duty and taking care of yourself and um, being an educator that was all very important to my family of origin. And that conditioning just came right up against this um, way of living by following my intuition, right? Mm -hmm. And by listening to guides or angels or the universe or however you want to label it. I can call it many things, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was a huge, I mean, there was a collision of ideology, not just cars. Right. Yes. That came yeah. from that. And um and it took many years actually to work through that and to feel comfortable with the integration of the two parts. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the first four or five years after the car accident, I left I lived mostly in my right brain. And then I had a, a beautiful healing by a, a healer in Santa Fe. And who has since left the planet, um, where I felt my my brain come back together, and I could do math again, and I could like access a part of my brain I hadn't been able to access before, and that was in two thousand and nine, and I would say that was the point. That was the next point at which um, life introduced me to myself again, right? Mm -hmm. Because I started on a journey then of integrating the two. As and opposed to doing one or the other. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the reason I asked that question, because we're in a time where more people are starting to become aware of the fact that they are more than just this human suit. And there is a lot of conflict and fear that starts to come to the surface when that realization really starts to take hold. Yeah. And I think what you talked about there in terms of integration and knowing, I mean, the biggest lessons of this, of realizing that you are more than just yourselves, is that mm -hmm. nothing is one way. 
right? That's right. <laughs> right. Right. That multiple realities are true and we can hold them at the same time. But when we're mm-hmm. used to a very binary um, thinking thought structure, yes, it is a really uncomfortable place to be. So what are some of the, what are some of the things that you noticed along that journey and what helped you with the, with that integration? Mm, That's a great question. Well, as you were talking, I was reminded of a a conference I went to with Father Richard Rohr, who is the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque. And I lived there for, in Albuquerque for quite a while. And he had a conference called The Power of Paradox. And Mm -hmm. how the idea of paradox, like when we soften into paradox, we can hold it all, actually, right? And that that's uh, when we hold it in our heart, we can hold it all. Um, It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be binary, like you described. And I think Mm -hmm. that was a really important teaching for me, the idea that paradox is not... um, not rigid. It's not the ending of something, right? Like it's a place to get curious and move into the question. Yes. And I think that that has been a piece that's been really important to me over the years. Um, I think the moving through the fear part, wow, (laughs) so many things. Hmm. Um, For me, feeling the feelings and feeling the pain, feeling the fear, feeling the whatever was coming up without adding the, a story to it like, mm. like or trying to take the story. Like if I'm telling myself a story that if I become an, a solopreneur, I am not going to make it. <laughs> it's going to be hard and I'm going to be homeless. Like this is just <laughs> kind of a short version, right? If I can actually feel the fear that's underneath that, my fear of not having financial security, then without that whole story, without building that whole story, just feel the somatic experience of fear, Uh then it can move through my body and give myself, and I can have a feeling of lightness at the end, even if I don't know the answer, right? Or the, mm-hmm. I, I probably can see more clearly the way to go, right? But yeah. I think feeling the raw feelings is a really important thing and learning how to dissect the feeling from the thoughts and mm-hmm. the story we're telling ourselves. And of course, Brene Brown talks a lot about this in her work. Yeah, and, she does. And it's, it's been a real key piece for me to move through the fear. Uh-huh. I think the other piece that's been important for me is to um, check out my fear with other people. Like what part of it is, like get a context for it. What part of it is real and what part of it is made up, so to speak. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, interestingly, this has been a theme for me personally, what I've been working through over the last sort of week or so. I mean, my whole life, but I've had some significant right. breakthroughs in the, in the last week in Yay. that I realized, yeah, <laughs> I'd realized just how numb I had become. And I know exactly where the numbness came from for lots of reasons, but I was unwinding it back to I could unwind it back to when I was little, I, I knew things. I saw dead people sometimes. 
I, mm-hmm. there were things that I understood that I should not have understood at that young age using should mm-hmm. as the societal construct of what kids know, should know or not know. Mm-hmm. And that is when it began when someone mm-hmm. first, when I said something out loud and someone sort of gave me a strange look and I realized, oh, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be tapping. I shouldn't be showing that. Mm-hmm. And then times where I was really in my body and super excited about things and really feeling that and noticing that other people were laughing, that I was mm-hmm. in that kind of emotion and so started shutting it down. And then you know, relationships that happen. And then my, my mom passed away. And that is a time where I really went into, I cannot deal with this. I, this is a huge amount of grief for me. I have two young humans and I am going, it was, I'm going back to work for my, my maternity leave in three weeks. So we're going to button that shit up and Move on. And move through and move on. And it was really a moment of realizing, you know, I love my husband and I have a very loving, caring relationship. But I realized I was at this intersection where I know he loves me and I can't feel it. And that was a, that was a big realization of just how numb I had become to Ev- literally everything. And so, yes, I had numbed myself to fear and grief, but I also at the same time numbed myself to every beautiful emotion as well. So now I'm in this practice of somatically noticing what does fear feel like in my body and just letting myself feel it. Right. Like, uh, what does grief feel like in my body? I was baking on Sunday and it was one of my mom's recipes. And I just had the, and I just cried. I just let myself cry in the kitchen and have that moment. But the peace that comes after when you let the emotion flow through your body is um, like nothing else. It's just so peaceful, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a quality of peace, a quality of lightness, yes. quality of um, just even in, it, when it for me it has been people or pets that have have transitioned for me mm-hmm. there's a sense of connection to them yeah from having felt what was interfering like mm-hmm. the the blockage of the fear was interfering with the connection to their energy or their being right or remembering them fully you know mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot there's some things going on in my life here that are um really challenging some challenges my husband is having and noticing the anger that comes up for me like oh my god this is an easy choice why can't you just make it like it's so obvious Mm -hmm. but then also seeing his response and being humbled by that right and recognizing it and coming bring it brings me to tears I'm like oh my gosh like he's in such pain Mm-hmm. Right. But first I have to go through the anger and the frustration. Oh, he's not with me. He's where is he? Why is he doing this? Like all that <laughs> stuff, yeah. all the judgment in the classic family of origin form, you know, yes. like that's what, that's what showed up in my family was judgment in very particular ways. And I'm really good at tossing that around sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when I get through that, I'm like, oh gosh, what have I done? 
right? Can I actually feel what the feeling was underneath that, that triggered all that judgment, which was fear, fear for his well-being, you know, fear, just concern, worry, sadness that he's struggling, you know? So I think that somatic experience of feeling our feelings just helps us so much stay in our humanity. Yes, absolutely. And stay in our humanity is such an important place for us to be right now, because all we want to do is escape, right? Everything that is set up in our world currently is really about (laughs) escaping our humanity. How do we, how do we get the hell out of here? Absolutely. And even spirituality can be set up to escape our humanity. You know, the first years that I was on this path, you know, some, some aspects of the yogic path are about getting to enlightenment and getting out of your body and being like more and disconnected from the, the human world because it's not enough, but other paths um, are non-dual and they suggest that like our, our work is actually to be here, to be fully human and fully divine at the same time. Yes. And there's a lot of humanity and humility and spirituality and faith and just connection to that in a way that then our intuition, or you could even say intuition, not our intuition, but intuition in general, or because we step into the flow of life. And when we do that, it we just kind of know where to go. Right. And for me, uh-huh. that's an, a really important piece. I think well, that's where those two pieces come together, right? Is right here in the body. Yeah. And our humanity and our divinity and living it right here. Even when we stumble, even when we yell at our husbands, <laughs> even when we get frustrated and scared, we're yeah. still, you know, part of the, the flow of life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think recognizing that is so, is so important, right? Being able to recognize that we are not here on a journey of perfection. And that's some of what that spiritual bypass is about, right? Is getting out of the muck in the mess and getting up into this perfection where it's easier. Right. But we chose to incarnate in this life, in this space, to have exactly these experiences. And when we detach from our physical form, we give over um, the tools that are available to us in this physical form. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. There are tools here. And like there's wisdom in this body. Yes. You know. Because this body is connected to more than just this body. It, it, it lives in a field, right, of yes. everyone who has lived and the plants and the trees and the dogs and the cats and the humans around us. So there's wisdom there that we can access by being in it, being in our body and feeling our feelings and letting the trauma, the effects of trauma come through, the effects of joy come through. Both mm-hmm. are Yeah. Yes, both are very important and can exist at the same time. Absolutely. So I want to 
Yeah, I want to dive into the family of origin conversation. And some people might not know that term. So can you clarify the term and then talk about how, how you see it playing out in your situation? Sure, sure. So for me, um, I use family of origin to mean the family that I was born into. So I was born into a second generation Italian immigrant family. So my great grandparents came from Italy. My grandparents were raised here. My parents were raised here in a very Italian Catholic um, part of Rhode Island called Cranston. So for me, family of origin means that family. For some, for other people, it may be an adopted family if they were adopted into a family very young and they were enculturated in that family, right? So for me, there's a whole bunch of culture that comes with my family of origin, right? What is it like to be an Italian Catholic? What you do on Christmas? We're just right around the corner from that. And I'm going back to Rhode Island for Christmas. And there are traditions related to that. Going to Christmas Eve mass. I'm not even really Catholic anymore, but Christmas Eve mass Uh is a thing, right? And will we go? I don't know, but that's what the family did for years, right? So there Uh are beliefs and behaviors that we learn from our family of origin that we carry with us, whether we know it or not. So, you know, from an immigrant family, there was a lot of in my immigrant family, there was a lot of work hard, work until you collapse. <laughs> you have to keep working in order to earn and support yourself and support your your family, your people. There's a lot of duty and a lot of honor in working and also a lot of um, what I'll call scarcity mindset, right? My uh-huh. great-grandparents came to America because Italy at that time, they were very poor. They were farmers and they were poor and they came to the U.S. to change that. But Uh those beliefs about scarcity, there's not enough, we have to work harder, where, you know, at the time they came over, they were an oppressed population, right? And Uh during the Ellis Island times, Italian, Portuguese, Jewish, they were all oppressed just like black and native people were Mm -hmm. so they so my father even grew up bullied in school right because he was he was the Italian I can't remember the word they use (laughs) but anyway Uh so that whole culture comes with me right it comes with me Uh in my life and those beliefs come with me whether I know them or not and I start living right. them out. And then I, then as I age, I get to look at them again and see, is, does that work for me? Do I still believe that? Do I still have a, the same Catholic belief system that my grandparents and my great-grandparents had? Do I want that? Am I going to choose something else? Obviously, I chose something else. But it doesn't mean I don't still sometimes even enjoy a good you know, Christmas Eve mass. <laughs> Uh yeah there's muscle memory in that i find right like i grew up in the anglican church in canada which is episcopalian so it's like catholic light right so so i understand the um actually i was just watching the last episode of the crown 
yesterday oh, and there <laughs> there was a, a, a church service and a church of England church service from the little red prayer book, which I probably haven't seen in over 30 years because we switched to a different book. But as soon as I heard the first word, the language poured out of my mouth. Absolutely. It's ritual and routine, which are the, which are the pieces that, you know, when we talk about family origin and how it shapes the context of your life. And when you start evaluating what you, what's important and what maybe isn't serving you and you can release, I don't go to church on a regular basis anymore, but when I do that ritual and routine feels like home in a way that I don't experience in a lot of other spaces. Absolutely. If I slide in, if I can still be awake for a midnight mass, <laughs> day it's not so often, but if I can slide into a midnight mass at a big old Catholic church with the incense, with the all of that, I am home. It's comfortable. Is it what I believed? Do I like the patriarchal orientation of the Catholic Church? No, of course not. Priest indiscretions? No. But there is a body memory of those experiences. And those are part of our family of origin experience. And, um, and they can comfort us and they can get in our way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking, though, if we can reclaim them, because there is so much about somatic connection in in all of the rituals that exist in a in a in a worship. Right. We're standing up. We're kneeling. There's hand placement. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was recently at my uh, massage therapist who has all kinds of incredible modalities. And she also is Catholic and was having a conversation with her priest who also is practicing Reiki and he so they were having this conversation around how do you bridge those theological and ideological gaps and he said well what is more in line with the meridian than the father son and the holy spirit holy. right like we're right like you're all of them right there right well, the I sign of the cross is hitting chakra points and, and meridian points it's like right Oh, right. sneaky. <laughs> yes. See, it's all right there. It's, it's absolutely all right there. there. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, the religions and, and spiritualities that are out there, they, they share some commonalities. They are not all the same. They do not all bring us to the same place or start in the same place, but there are similarities when you get back to the, um, the essence Right. The, the, um, sorry, I'm losing the word. There was something I was thinking of in particular, but, um, yeah. when you get to the mystical aspects as that's what I was thinking of, of most religions or spiritualities, there's some similarities mm -hmm. that are, and that are really, really beautiful. Yeah. Well, the foundational principles of almost every religion is to love and to be love and to love each other. Absolutely. And when you pull back all of the dogma and all of the way that it's been interpreted through centuries and perspectives and all of the, all of those things, that's really what's at the heart of most of it. And there is such wisdom in bringing people together in community and spending time in reflection and connection. 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm just having a little bit of a realization here of <laughs> how that set Absolutely. that foundation. You, the foundation, that love foundation is also a frequency. And I often talk about that when I talk about energy healing or I, I'm not trained in Reiki because the energy healing came through me and I worked with a, um, a woman for many years to learn how to work with what comes through organically, but is really a love frequency, mm-hmm. right? When we sit and are very present with another human or a group of humans, and we can palpably feel that love frequency, we, are, we heal from that. Mm-hmm. We really heal from that, from that intensity of presence, that capacity to sit in there in that field or that frequency of love. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, yeah. So it's it's connected to religions and it's um, ex- expands beyond religions yes. and spirituality. Like yeah. We can all tap into it. Heck, we can do it when we play with our dogs right? We play with our kids. We like, we have an experience of love and emotion Mm -hmm. when we aren't numbing and like we are conditioned to numb. I certainly was through my family to not feel so much, not be so big, just kind of fit in. Yes. And so all of those things, you get back to that family origin, family of origin piece, all of those things have to be removed layer by layer. Is it okay to be big? Is it okay to laugh loud? <laughs> you know, can I give myself permission to be who I am? Right. And none of that, like I'm talking about it as if it's an easy thing. It's not. It's not. <laughs> There's a lot of little bitty uh, angsty moments within that, you know, Absolutely. that we and, just do and a while we're, Yeah. And while we're working to understand family of origin and what it has structured in ourselves, our, you know, our structure of family of origin sort of comes out in front of us and can intersect and, you know, bump into the family of origin structure that comes out in front of everybody else because everyone has had a different experience, right? Even, even siblings within a family. Yeah. have had a different experience of their family of origin. And so what do you what do you see and notice when you see those um intersections or the bumping ups of different yeah. experiences? That's a great question. I had such a I went to visit my sister in September and stayed with her and I, I hadn't done that in decades. I don't even remember the last time I went to visit her and stayed with her. And we spent so much time talking about our experience of childhood, yeah. what it was like to grow up, what it was like to go through high school and college. We lived with different parents once we were in high school and we had very different experiences of our family. And the same is true with, with my, my husband or any partner, right? We, 
we have a, he has a very different family. He has a family that was more, um, I'll say white collar. Like I come from a family of educators and worker bees and that's not necessarily blue collar, but it's, it's also immigrant. It has a different feel to it, but his family has been in the U S for a much longer time. They had a lot more money. They had a higher education. His mother was a graduate of one of the seven sisters, you know, so there is a eliteness of it. And he has a different orientation to resources than I do. Right. So yeah. I came from a scarcity mindset. You might say he came from an abundant mindset or an entitled mindset. Right. And those bump up for us in our marriage. Yeah. And I've come more in his direction and he's kind of come more in mine, but you know, <laughs> we have to find a way to meet that, you know, he's got a lot of good old Yankee blood in there and, um, <laughs> and, and the new Englanders boy that, 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 uh, group of people have a real, uh, sense of, just taking care, using everything to its very end, right? Using all of it. And uh, so all those things come crashing together in our marriage. <laughs> like you say, you know, they're out in front of us. Yeah. And it's our work in our relationship and in our marriage to challenge each other around those things and to be patient and and to love each other through our um bumping up against these things, right? And to to be influenced by each other, yeah. right? So that yeah. I can let go of more of my scarcity mindset and he can let go of what I might call that entitled mindset that was part of his family of origin, right? And yeah. we come closer together in that. We have more of a sense of acceptance. And again, that comes through therapy. <laughs> it comes through day-to-day -day conversations about the budget. <laughs> And how we spend our resources yeah. or don't, you know? So it, it's very human, right? Yes. It's very human. And it helps, I think, to have a sense of the divine also to be able to lean into, and I'm taken care of, and I'm yeah. a part of the flow of life, even with these quirks, even with these whatevers, you know? And as a part of the flow of life, we grow, we change, we get curious, we evolve, just like every other thing that's alive on the planet. And yeah. it's when I get stuck and I refuse to evolve, or I refuse to, refuse to look at one of those beliefs or behaviors that isn't serving me anymore, that it gets really painful. It gets re really painful, charged, difficult, and those family of origin things really start to bang up against each other instead of knit together. Right? Yeah. I'm really grateful to, uh, so my, to get married in the Anglican church in the early 2000s, you had to take a marriage preparation course. And so mm -hmm. we took this marriage preparation course that was taught by my parents. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Inter great. Interestingly, a few awkward moments here and there, but <laughs> Uh, but but a big component of it was this awareness of fam of um, family of origin, 
And we went through a lot of really good exercises to uncover what values were created and experiences through our family of origin. And the research at the time, and I don't know if it's changed because we're, you know, coming up on over 30 years, I'm sure, since the course was, <laughs> was researched, but that as people got older, this, the belief systems that were founded in their family of origin actually started to show themselves more and got stronger. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But when I was listening to you talk about approaching it from that place of curiosity and sort of leaning into each other's family of origin, I wonder when people have awareness of how that has been structured for them, that that does start to change and break down in that, in terms of the, you know, your family of origin gets stronger. I can definitely see it in some places, right? Yeah. Where people- yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a fascinating idea. I can see it in myself where it gets stronger. Mm. And I can see in myself where it's it's actually doesn't exist anymore. Like I'm not mm -hmm. holding that belief, you know. But, and um but like both of my parents are a little bit reclusive and they've gotten a little more reclusive as they've gotten older and I notice that tendency in myself. I'm not as interested in going out in the world and doing things or having a ton of friends and partying it up or anything. Not that I was ever a big partier, but even <laughs> less so now. <laughs> um, but like, it's okay if I don't see people for a few days, you know, I could not see my husband for a few days and I'd be very happy, you know? And so I do think some of those come up, it get more increased and some release. We, we did a lot of work, um, in non, the nonviolent communication movement that Marshall Rosenberg founded. My husband was a, a certified trainer there, and that's where I met him in that movement. And we worked in that field for several years together. So that was one way that we started looking at values that we each had and the feelings and the needs that came up and what values they pointed to and where we could align and where we couldn't. And um, how we could influence each other um, in gentle ways, like not like arm twisting influence, but be influenced by each other's values or feelings or needs. So it was a really important part of our healing process. And I use that a lot with clients. Yeah. The, the, it's very embedded in my communication style now. So it's not very formulaic. People don't know they're being NBC'd, so to speak. <laughs> but, um, but I'm always looking for the feelings and needs underneath the conversations I'm having with clients, with friends, with family, you know, and there there's, I have more compassion when I listen from that space. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that that I was thinking about when you were talking about your husband and the regionalness of his mm -hmm. values is uh -huh. just how much geography and place also plays a big role. We always think about it in terms of relationships, but as I get older and I spend much less time where I grew up mm -hmm. and none of my, none of my, I, none of my family lives there anymore. Uh, most of my family who did li live there, I've lost. And every time I go back to the place, I still feel held in a very um, familiar way. 
that it just like it brings me to tears every time I go there. And mm. it was a huge, it definitely, so it's small town Ontario on the shores of Georgian Bay. So living outside became a really important part of my own value structure because we lived in, they always called it God's country. We lived in God's country. It was, there was the escarpment, there's the lake, there's forest, there's, it's a, you know, wonderland of natural resources. And my partner grew up in a more urban space. And so that's where one of the places where I do find our structures bump up against each other because mm -hmm. I was like, why don't you want to go outside? Why do you want to be in here? Right. <laughs> but, totally. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Place I think has a big, has a big impact us, on us and it, and it is layered with culture, right? Yes. You know, my, my husband's family grew up in a similar place where I grew up. He grew up in Cincinnati, but his mother grew up just outside of Boston. And we grew up just outside of Boston, but in different eras, you know, and, and there is something about his family that took on the frugality of New England, right? Whereas my, my parents have that frugality or some, it, it runs through the family, but I somehow didn't get that. To me, it was too constrictive. Right. And I was like, yeah, okay. I can live that way, but do I have to? <laughs> right? yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't really want to live that way, um, but okay. I get it. And I, I know how, and I think that's an evolution for me as opposed to just living that way all the time is yeah. to say, okay, now I can have a choice. If it's a hard year, okay, maybe I'm going to make different decisions and I know how to make them Yeah. as opposed, but if it's a better year, well, maybe I'm going to make different decisions about how I spend my resources. Yeah. You know, whereas his frugality, you know, it comes, it comes from an interesting cultural place given he also had a, um, a wealthier childhood, right? Or a wealthier family of origin, but there's still that frugality from the place, yes. right? That was embedded in the culture of the place that his mother and father's family grew up. Yeah. So it's so interesting. I think place is so much, you know, I live in Tucson because when I moved here in 98, I absolutely fell in love with it. And I was here until 2005. And then I went to New Mexico and I was there for 17 years. And I, I like to say, I felt like I was living on a different planet for those whole 17 years. I never really felt at home. And I would come back to Tucson and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is it. Now, even more so than when I, where I actually grew up, which was in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, so I think place pay, plays a huge role and, and the kind of nature we're a part of in yeah. those places, right? And, and I'm starting and our to and how we grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm starting to think that there also is real potential for for healing. So in my case, in particular, because my I was an only child, my mom is gone, my dad no longer lives there. I often feel quite rootless in terms of that kind of family structure. And when I feel the need for that kind of healing within my family line, I'm noticing that when I go back to that place, 
I'm able to, even though I'm not having conversation with the people themselves in their human form, there is, there is this sense of welcome that I get from the land. There is a sense of connection that I get from the land that allows me to start to heal some of that rootless feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? It sounds like by being on the land. Yeah. It helps you connect with the people that you knew on the land. Yes. And and it heals that sense of disconnection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I know indigenous, it's such an indigenous way of knowing. And I'm sure if anyone were listening, they'd be like, yeah, white girl, like, thanks for getting yeah. with the times. But our cultures didn't teach that. Right. No. And so we learn it in different ways. We learn it where we learn it, however we learn it. Right. And um, because the land is alive, it is a part of the divine, just like we are. Yes. Yeah. So we're all connected. Yeah. And when we can tune into that frequency of how we are energetically and electrically vibrating, there is a sense of familiarity in the frequency of the spaces that we, oh, that we spent the most time in or that we spent really formative time in. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like still, like I started doing yoga here in Tucson at a studio called Yoga Oasis. It's down by the university. I still walk into that studio with its wooden floors. Even if the teachers are different, the owner is the same, but the teachers are different. I walk into that studio and I have the same feeling I have when I walk into midnight mass. Like, oh, I'm home. Mm -hmm. Here I am. Like, this is my place. Yes. Right. There is a spiritual, there is an energetic sense of it and it's healing just to be in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to be in it. And it's just, I think knowing and finding those places for ourselves are very important. It is very important. And I think it's one of the keys to when we have disconnected and gone into that numb space. For me, there is a summer camp that I started going to when I was eight and I ended up. So from the time I was eight until I was 23, I spent every summer there. Um, That's Mm -hmm. where I met my partner. That's where I met my husband and my kids work there now. So there's a, there's a real family connection in this space, but it's also where I remember having all of my biggest emotions. So when I am doing exercises for myself, either one, either meditation, if I need a meditation to get grounded in into a calm space, there is a path that where the cabins are behind me, I walk along the path and then I get to this, um, cliff that looks out over Lake Huron. And that is the space I go to in my mind every time when I need to feel grounded and when I need to feel calm. And anytime I get, I start noticing that numb disconnect, I go back in my mind to that space and I can pull up memories of emotions that I can Mm -hmm. use as a space to connect to myself now and to have the memory of what that feels like to bring it forward in my life now. That's beautiful. It's really such a discipline, isn't it? Like these, Mm -hmm. these, these tools we learn to really employ them regularly. 
you know, for me sitting, I'm like, we're talking today, I'm holding this little Christmas heart uh, stone. I don't even remember what it is, but when I hold it, it brings me back to my love of stones and rocks. Yes. I collected rocks and stones when I was a very young child. I still have some of them. Yeah, thank <laughs> and you. I keep collecting them, right? <laughs> and when I hold this one, when I hold others, it settles my system, right? Yeah. I feel the energy of it and I'm able to sink into myself and my emotions and my, my body more easily. You know, for some people that's essential oils, for some people that's holding a pet, for some people it's a visualization or a physical activity, you know, finding those things that help uh, thaw the numbness yes, right? so that we can actually be with ourselves and the people around us when things are hard. Yeah, because things are hard in the world right now. There's a lot happening out there. And it's sure easy is. to know. it's easy to choose food or something else or some substance that in order for us to not feel like all of the feelings and all of the emotions that arise from the things that are happening around us in our small town and in the world. Yeah, we have absolutely. an incredible connection to the larger world that our ancestors did not have. No. And we're and not it, really, it really we're not really built for that. Yeah. We aren't. Our nervous <laughs> systems are not built for it. No, no. They really aren't. I mean, even, you know, I've had a lot of spiritual experiences over the last 20 years. You know, I've had an experience of Shaktipat, had a car accident. I've had a couple other, what I'd call awakening or initiation activities or experiences. One last May, every single time my nervous system gets blown out. Yeah. Every single time. Uh-huh. Because our systems aren't, it, it takes some time to get used to whatever that new frequency is, whatever those new behaviors are that we let go of. You know, and so our systems aren't built to know everything and to see it all at once. If we can just walk into the water a step at a time, a little bit more at a time, um, we can integrate it a little bit at a time and be yes. able to receive more and more, to hold our the heart of the world more and more, to hold the hand of our partner when they're having yeah. a hard time. Right. Yes. But it, it's a. My experience is it's a slow integration process. There might be a big woo <laughs> experience, mm-hmm. but then then it takes a while to integrate, just like when we move, right? If you move from one city or town or house to another one, there is that big day, right, where you're packing and you're moving. But when you land in that new city or house, it takes years to really make it home, to know who yes. your new people are, who your new friends are, where your workplace is, the, your favorite coffee shops, your favorite restaurants. It takes time. And I think that's also very true of personal growth and spiritual growth. We might yeah. have that big aha moment, but then there is a period of integration where our nervous systems integrate it, where our bodies integrate it, where our 
behaviors have to be changed and integrated. And I think that's the place where people are most surprised, right? Like if we have the insight, shouldn't it just change? <laughs> but <laughs> right, if yeah, only. Yeah. No. If only, right? Yeah. And I think because we're human and our human bodies are actually slow processors. Like yes. They really are not fast processors, even though our mind can be. No. Our bodies are slow processors. It takes yes. time. That's such a beautiful example. And I think really to pull it all together, that's the phrase that you used, how to thaw the numb, I think is a really great space to sort of leave that because thawing takes time, right? And if we rush it, it results in damage. So giving yourself some gentle time of thawing and integration is really important and to give ourselves the grace and the space to do that. Absolutely. And of course, we're recording this just a few days, two days before the solstice, Mm -hmm. right? So we can also take our our cues from the seasons. We the seasons move in and out slowly in a very clear rhythm, right? And so yes. by the time this podcast drops, it's, what did you say? It'd probably be March, right? So we'll, <laughs> well be ex- it's been very, it's we'll- been a very timely conversation. I might put it out next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so maybe, yeah. So, yeah. but I, my point is the seasons move slowly. We yes. slowly move into winter and slowly move out of winter and into spring. And then we slowly move into spring and into summer. And I think that we have a lot to learn from that in our own lives. Like the expectation of immediate, can that happen? Absolutely. Is it the norm? That's not my experience or the experience of most of my clients that the integration time is as important as the lead up and the awakening or awareness or whatever happens that helps us come to know something or know that something has to change, you know, and, and the seasons, the solstice, it's a beautiful, a beautiful time to slow down and let things integrate in, in the dark of winter for those of us in the Northern hemisphere. Yeah. Thank you so much for this really beautiful conversation. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. I feel like there's such a soothing vibe in this conversation. I hope that it does wonders for the nervous systems of the people who have been listening. I will be sure to have all of the details below so that anyone who wants to connect is able to do so. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's been just a beautiful visit. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on this transformative journey. Your support means the world. If you resonated with our conversation and want to uplift the Transforming 45 community, here's what you can do. Connect with me about how you can reclaim your own magic. Check the show notes for all the ways you can find me. Subscribe and share. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you found value here, share it with friends, family, and anyone seeking inspiration. 
Leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your words can make a significant impact and help others find their way to these transformative stories. Join the conversation on social media platforms. Follow us on Instagram at Lboat. You can also find me on Facebook and TikTok. And if you know someone whose story could inspire others, reach out and let me know. I love connecting with diverse voices that carry the power to transform lives. Remember, your support fuels my mission to share authentic stories of transformation. Thank you for being part of the Transforming 45 family. Until next time, keep shining your light and embracing your journey. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. DC, I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid.